Well, sometimes it's just good for us to remember that we have a shared humanity. And sometimes it's good in the brokenness that we see around us to remember that that shared humanity also can have some humor in it at times. Like we're people, right? And as people, we have cravings. Uh, any of you ever crave particular kinds of food? Anybody? So, yeah, yeah. For me, it's most often ice cream or chocolate or the combination. <laughs> and the other day, I had one of those craving moments. And so I went to the kitchen and I got out one of my favorite bowls and I got out one of my favorite spoons and I got out my favorite ice cream scoop. Anybody have favorites like that? Am I just a weirdo? All right, I'm not totally alone. Um, and uh, it's a thing, right? Like you got to have the right stuff to eat with. So I, I get that out <clears throat> and then I go to the freezer knowing that we've got one of my favorite kinds of ice cream in the freezer. I, I open up the freezer, I grab the cart and I pull, and it's just a bit lighter than it feels like it should be, right? You know those moments? And I open it up, and to my dismay, there's like one bite of ice cream left. Anyone ever had one of those moments? You with me? You're right, you're right. And you know, like, that's not the way God intended the world to be. <laughs> like, and if you're wondering what kind of monster does that, what kind of monster leaves just like one bite, it's called a teenager. That's a particular unique kind of monster. Um, it may have been somebody else in the house, but I, I'm, I'm going to rest on the kids because that's just a safer assumption for me to make. Um, and listen, I don't mind that my kids eat, like, everything. We, we go grocery, I say we, my wife goes grocery shopping. Uh, I go snack food shopping. She goes grocery shopping. And she thinks she's stocked up for the week. It, it's really she's stocked up for about five minutes. So I have no problem that my teenage kids who are still at home eat everything and just decimate it. Like that's to be expected. But what's not okay is putting a nearly empty carton of ice cream back in the freezer to leave this much milk in the carton in the fridge to put an empty box of anything back in the cabinet i'm like listen that just is wrong my hopes get so high and then they're just the disappointment sets in and then you guys are dealing with hangry dad and like nobody wants that right well, there's this weird, seemingly weird moment in the gospel of Mark. Mark, a follower of Jesus, wrote an account. That's what the gospel is. It's an account of Jesus' life and ministry. And he records this hangry moment of Jesus that just helps us find some commonality that Jesus really did enter into the humanity with us. So we pick it up in Mark chapter 11. The next morning, as they were leaving Bethany, now, this is the morning after the triumphal entry. We're in the last week of Jesus' life, and last week we took a look at the donkey ride Jesus made into the city, a coronation event. Jesus is king, but he's king of peace. And so they've gone back to Bethany near Jerusalem. They spend the night there. That's kind of their home base. They're going to go back and forth between Bethany and Jerusalem this time. And so the next morning they're going, and Jesus is hungry. Yeah, he's fully God, but he's also fully human at this point. So fantastic. He's hungry like we are. And he noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off. So he went over to see if he could find any figs. But there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. So Jesus said to the tree, may no one ever eat of your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. And it's kind of odd. <laughs> so let me unpack a little bit about what's going on here. This fig tree 
It's a fruit tree, and it promised to do one thing, bear fruit, and it did not deliver. This tree has leaves on it, and it's early in the season, too early for the ripe fruit to be there. But it's the time of season where the fruit buds would be there. And these fruit buds would be bitter. Now, those of you who know me, you know I'm not a bitter kind of person. Dark chocolate is evil. It's just like a a nasty, cruel joke, right? Like black coffee is just too bitter. You got to put the cream and the sugar in there. You got to make it right, right? And so bitter fruit. But Jesus, I think, was willing to sacrifice in that moment and have the bitter fruit. He was hungry. He doesn't want to eat anything. So he's going to eat these bitter fruit. But he goes to this fig tree, and there's not even the little fruit buds on it. And what that means is that if there's no fruit buds now, there will be no ripened fruit later. And if there's not going to be the ripe fruit this season, it will never produce ripe fruit. And so Jesus looks at it and says, well, what good is a fruitless fig tree? What good is a fruitless fruit tree? Curse are you, die. And the disciples are like, all right, that's weird. Jesus is hungry and he's mad. So then Mark continues on with the story. They arrived back in Jerusalem and Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over tables of the money changers and he kicked over the chairs of those selling doves and he stopped everyone. Now that's euphemistic. There are thousands of people. This is an enormous area, these temple courtyards. So euphemistic, but all the people in that area, he stopped from using the temple as a marketplace for the time being. And he said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you have turned it into a den of thieves. Now that's a very kind and soft translation. We could more accurately translate from the original language, the Greek of that time. You have turned it into a cave of terrorists. Jesus is saying you've become spiritual terrorists to others. Now terrorism language is strong language in our world today. But I think that conveys what's happening there spiritual terrorism. And so Jesus is upset because the temple is not doing what it was intended to do. Well, when the leading priests and the teachers of religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began planning how to kill him. They already knew they wanted to kill him. Now they're planning how to kill him. But they were afraid of him because the people were so amazed at his teaching. Well, that evening, Jesus and the disciples left the city. They went back to Bethany. And the next morning, as they were going back from Bethany to Jerusalem again, they passed by that fig tree that Jesus had cursed. And the disciples noticed that it had withered from the roots up. It didn't die from the top down. like It's withering from the roots up. And so Peter, being the astute observer of reality that he is, and the outspoken one amongst Jesus' clan, he looks and he says, Hey, Jesus, remember that fig tree that you cursed yesterday? It's dead. It withered from the roots up. It's dead and withered. What in the world? And Jesus' response to that is this. Have faith in God. Because that's what you expect for the response to the fig tree cursing. And he says, I told the truth. You can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it's going to happen. He says, but you must really believe it'll happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything. And if you believe you've received it, it's going to be yours. But when you are praying, first, forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against so that your father in heaven will forgive your sin also. That makes sense, right? That's all we got. 
<laughs> like anyone else a little bit confused by this? Like, does this just seem like at first glance kind of an odd passage? I mean, we have hangry Jesus cursing a fig tree. We have angry Jesus kicking over tables and chairs in the temple, throwing a temple tantrum, if you will. Oh, come on, man. Temple tantrum? That's good. That's, uh, come on. Like, it's a dad joke, right? Then the next morning, that cursed fig tree is dead. They asked Jesus about it. It's like, pray earnestly. Like, what? You know? So what are we supposed to do with all that? Well, in fact, I love what Mark is doing with his gospel here. As he tells this story, as he paints this picture, he's actually giving us this beautiful literary picture. He goes, fig tree, temple, fig tree. And he creates this literary sandwich for us. And by doing so, that lets us know that what comes in the middle really is the meat. But the bread on either side kind of frames it up. So he's given us this picture and it's okay, great. So we have this cool literary device that Mark is using. But what in the world does the fig tree in the temple have to do with your life, with my life, with our lives? Friends, it has everything to do with our lives. Because Jesus said the fig tree promised one thing and it failed to deliver. Just like the temple. Now, this was all happening during the week of the Passover festival. And the Passover festival is the big time of year. It's like the central religious festival that all the people would come. They would flock to the city. They would make their pilgrimage to Jerusalem and to the temple in Jerusalem. And it was the central place of Jewish worship at that time. So these people are making their way there. And they're coming from all over, all these Israelites coming from all over to celebrate God at the temple. They're singing their songs along the way. They're making their trek there. And part of that celebration, central to that celebration, is the offering of animals for sacrifice to make atonement for your sins, to repent, say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. This is an offering to you to help cover over that. But a lot of these people are coming from so far away that it's just not practical for them to bring their animals with them. And so there's this selling of animals there at the temple to make it easier for them. But the selling of these animals, these people to to purchase and sell the animals and all that that's happening there at the temple, what was to be a good thing for them to make it easier for them had become abused. And, And so the price of these animals to purchase is just exorbitant. It's kind of like if, if you've ever gone to a festival or a sporting event or a concert and you, you purchase something like a hot dog and soft drink. And you know, like you purchase a hot dog and soft drink somewhere else. It might cost like three, four, five bucks somewhere else. You, you go inside that venue and suddenly it's like 20 bucks for a hot dog and a Coke that's almost all ice. And you're like, what? Right? Well, that's kind of what was happening in the temple except way worse. Like they're jacking up the prices so high. And enough that like we can look into the history of that time and see that a dove that would be used for sacrifice, a dove purchased outside the temple would cost four coins. Inside the temple cost 75. If let's just use some round numbers in our world. Let's say something cost $4 and you walk into a place and it costs 75. That's quite the markup. <laughs> and that's exactly what they're doing to these travelers, these people coming to sacrifice to God. And and not only that, but they only accepted certain currency at the temple. 
So all these foreigners, all these people traveling from far off to come in, they had to exchange their currency. And so they had these money changers. That's the currency exchange. And you know that those currency exchange rates were not favorable to the traveler. But they were jacking those costs up as well. It's kind of like, because we're using this book as a supplement this year, Quest 52. And, you know, we're using it again this week. Um, It's kind of like if we told you you had to purchase one of these to, to come into this room, to worship God here in this space. But now we're telling you that the cost of each of these books is $1,000. And, and you show up and you're like, whoa, bro, I don't got a grand to spend on that little Devo book that you're wanting to sell me. Like, oh man, I feel for you, I understand, but you're not allowed to come in. You can't get close to God. You can't worship God. Sorry, gotta pay the cost. Now, we do think this is a valuable resource. I encourage you, if you don't already have one of these, to pick up your discounted copy out at the, uh, the Next Steps area after service. And if you don't have the few bucks to cover it, let me know. We'll take care of that for you. But we're certainly not going to say you have to have one of these to worship here or charge you an exorbitant price. See, in fact, the, the buying and selling and the money changing was begun as a good thing. It began as something to help these people who were living far away, who were living far from God and far from the temple. As they came, they wouldn't have to drag those animals with them, but they could purchase the animals there for the sacrifice. It was designed to be a good thing. That The problem was not in the buying and the selling at the temple. The problem was how it had been hijacked, what had happened to it, how it was being done at the time. It's just like having coffee at church is not a bad thing. Having Books available for you to help you in your journey with Jesus is not a bad thing. Doing a series on movies to help us engage with that and see that, man, this is something that can help people who are far from God learn truth about God and draw near to God. Those are not bad things, but they can all be hijacked in ways. And what Jesus says is that what was happening in the temple at that time was not what he intended for his temple. You know how some churches have those fun church billboard things, those church signs out front, and they'll sometimes put pithy sayings on, pithy wisdom, fun sayings, and it communicates something to the community. And well, sometimes, you know, you get some that might communicate, you know, something clever, like whoever stole our AC units, keep one, because it's hot where you're going. Very clever, not very grace filled. <laughs> Sometimes what they communicate might not be what they intended to communicate. Like this church, what is hell like? Come hear our preacher. I really hope none of you feel that way. We work hard to keep that from being true here. If you do feel that way, I'm sorry, deal with it. Um, Sometimes you're just not sure what the church is communicating. Like this one. We love hurting people. Now that sounds like a church that's really big on compassion. We love hurting people. Or maybe it's a church that has no compassion at all. Like, we love hurting people. You know, like, it's a gamble. I don't know. Like, mm, help me out there, right? And we got to be careful what we communicate about church. Now, we don't have one of those signboards out front. And we've decided not to for a reason. Because sometimes you get signs like that. But let's be honest. Every church sends a message to its community. Every church does have walking signboards. 
us. Every time somebody sees us leave this place, every time somebody knows that this is our church home, our lives communicate a message about this church, about God, about his temple, about his grace, about who he is. And so we are the communication for God. Well, those money changers and those merchants in the temple court we're communicating something very clear, sending a very clear message to people about God and the temple that day. Jesus said to them, he said, the scriptures declare, and he's quoting Old Testament prophets here, my temple will be called a house of prayer for who? Say this with me, for all nations. But you, you have turned it into a cave of spiritual terrorists. Ouch. Now again, the money changers and those merchants, initially that was a good thing. What had been set up originally as something helpful had become something that had been hijacked. And to make matters worse, where they set this up was in the area of the temple where all the non-Jewish people who are called Gentiles, the Gentiles are playing non-Jews. So if Unless you have some Jewish heritage in your background, you are a Gentile. And, and so it was in the spot where all of those people could come and worship God. And they couldn't make their way into the inner courts of the temple, but they can celebrate God there. So this is the place where they were putting it up so that some of the people who were furthest from God, this was putting a barrier in their way to keep them from getting any closer to God. And Jesus here quotes from the Old Testament, from these prophets. He's reminding them that God's plan for Israel all along was to go to the nations to invite people to get close to God, not just to seclude themselves from the nations. And you had this sect of Jewish people who, who saw themselves as better than the rest, that they were definitely more devout and more spiritual than those non-Jewish Gentiles or those half-breed Samaritans or even many of the other Jews who weren't as religious, who weren't as pious, who weren't as devout, who weren't as good as they were. So their view of a clean temple was keeping those people away. And the sign that they were kind of hanging in the temple would have looked like this, stop. Members only, you don't belong here. But Jesus said, that's not what I've intended for my temple. In fact, the sign Jesus said should have been hanging there would have looked more like this. Everyone, welcome. Now, some of you, any of you who have a little OCD and you are going nuts right now because of this O, I guess just driving you crazy. But that's my favorite part of that sign. Because it's just a little wonky, just a little messy. It's not quite right. Just like all of us. You know, when it came to cleansing the temple, a lot of those Jewish people, they viewed a clean temple as a place without all those lesser people. But Jesus said it was to be the place where all people come to worship God. That the temple should be a place filled with those people. See, the temple promised to be a place for all people to draw near to God, but it was not living up to its intention. Again, the buying and the selling wasn't the problem. It was how it was done, how they were taking advantage of other people, how they were putting barriers in the path for people to get close to God. They had polluted worship 
They were turning it for a profit. And as a result, they were turning people away from God. And that is what made Jesus angry. That is what made Jesus mad. That they were putting barriers in the way that kept people from getting close to God. The day before all this happened, Jesus told them, while he was at the temple, he said the temple would be destroyed. And actually, just a few decades after Jesus made that prophetic statement, in the year 70 AD, the temple was destroyed down to the detail that Jesus said. And that temple, it has never been rebuilt, but it has been replaced. Paul, writing this to the church of Ephesus, says it this way. He says, together, we are God's house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone of God's house is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a what? Read this with me. A holy temple for the Lord. Through Jesus, you Gentiles, you non-Jews who once were far from God, you are now also being made part of this dwelling of God where God himself lives by his Holy Spirit. Church, what this means is that even though buildings and spaces and places are important and significant and they have meaning and sometimes great meaning and tremendous value to us, the building itself is never the focus. The building is not the temple. The building is not the church, not any longer. We are the church. You, me, all of us who follow Jesus, who claim Jesus as rescuer and leader in our lives, we are the church. And that means that together we are the temple. Church, I want you to read that with me. I want us to get this into our souls Because this is a truth we need to cling to and claim. So let's read this together. We are the temple. Let's read it again. We are the temple. We claim that for ourselves. And with this, Jesus has ushered in a new era. He has eroded the barriers and the boundaries of sacred space. And he's put the temple on the move. No longer a building you have to come to, but now the people who spread out to ripple out throughout the earth to take God to people. That's what God had designed. That's what was happening here. But it makes me wonder, if we are the temple, and we are, what barriers do we put in place that might keep people who are far from God, from drawing closer to God? Are we adding to the obstacle course of faith? Are we communicating something very different than what we intend to communicate about God? Are we communicating something different about God's temple, his church, than what God desires for us to communicate? Sometimes I fear that by trying to sanitize the church building, we inadvertently communicate something about God and about this place very different than what God wants communicated. Let me just ask, do you view a clean temple building, a clean church building as a place without all the messiness of sin, without all those messy sinners 
Do you view it as a place where those things don't happen here? Because it sure seems that the church, according to the New Testament, according to Jesus, should be one of the dirtiest places we find. It should be the place where the people who are so far from God, who are steeped in their sin, are bumping right up against Jesus to find their new life in him. Now, that doesn't mean that we let it stay to the people come as they are, yes, but to stay as they are, no, God wants to do a transformative work in their life to birth a whole new life inside of them. But church should be a pretty messy place where people who are far from God feel like this is where they come to find God. And I wonder, I fear that at times we may get this out of order. Expecting people to change their behavior, to change their life before they come, before they get close to God. Expecting them to change right away, maybe change their behavior even before they believe in Jesus. That maybe we put undue expectations on people, expecting them to walk with Jesus when really we haven't done a whole lot to help them walk with Jesus. That sometimes I, I think we just translate some of the church talk to this. Those people who are so far from Jesus sure do live like they are far from Jesus and we're angry about it. And that seems kind of absurd, doesn't it? I mean, why would we expect anything different from them? You know, the religious leaders of Jesus' time falsely assumed that they were pretty close to God. And the reason, the rationale, was because they were doing all the right things. They were obeying all the religious practices and they were very religious people. They had it all figured out. They put it all together. And and so they, they were doing all the right things seemingly, but yet they missed God when he stood right in front of them. In fact, they didn't just miss God, they crucified God. And they crucified him to protect the religious rules and their religious practices. And that should cause all of us who follow Jesus It should cause us pause. Because what that means is we can do all the right things, all the things that look righteous, the things that make us look churchy. We can read our Bibles and we can quote our Bibles and we can sing the songs and we can pray and even pray earnestly. We can get together and we can be in small groups and Bible studies and adult Bible fellowships and we can attend church all the time and we can serve and we can wear the clothes and we can clean up our language and we can look the part and still totally miss God in all of it. And that should scare us just a little bit. Because it's just like that fig tree. It wasn't doing what God intended it to do. Here's the deal. If there's no fruit, it's no good. If there's no fruit, it's no good. New Testament tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Paul gives that list to the church at Galatia. We could add on to it. Paul's lists are almost always a kind of a, a starter list. You add on to it things like these, things like humility and generosity and on and on and on we go. So let's get a little personal with this. In our interaction with people who are far from God, are we loving Do we love those people? Do we allow our hearts to break for them because we know that they have life outside of Jesus? Because our hearts should be break for them. Are we patient with them? 
knowing that it takes a while for people to, to find and follow Jesus and for him to shape their lives and for them to be growing in that way. Are we kind in our interactions with those people? Are we peaceful with them or are we going to war against them? Are we doing good for them and to them? Remembering that good deeds create goodwill and that creates a really good platform for us to share the good news of Jesus. Are we doing good or are we just angry because they're not good enough? Are we gentle with them? Speaking in gentleness? Are we self-controlled? That when those people who are far from God say something or do something, do we respond in kind or do we pause and realize, man, they're doing that because they just don't know who Jesus is? Do we live with joy that overflows into their lives? Do we show them the joy of what it is to walk with Jesus? See, if there's no fruit, it's no good. Jesus may have said it this way if you were with us today. What God desires from us is spiritual fruit, not religious nuts. Now, I've heard some people who are believers use Jesus' angry moment in the temple to justify their own anger. It's righteous indignation. It's holy anger. Maybe. Maybe, but let's be really careful there. Like if we're, if we're gonna get angry spiritually about stuff, let's make sure we get angry about the right things. Let's make sure we get angry about the things Jesus got angry about. And I would say if Jesus was gonna get angry about anything, he's angry about what's going on in the temple. And let's remember, he's not talking about a building, he's talking about us. So if we're gonna get angry about anything, let, let's make sure we get angrier about the sin in our own lives more so than we're angry about the sin in other people. If we're gonna have some righteous indignation, let's look in the mirror. Let's turn it to ourselves. And listen, I know this comes across as prophetic and tough and kind of, but you should have been writing this sermon this week, okay? This was a tough one. Like, I, you're hearing it now. I, Jesus was beating me up all week. So I'm just inviting you in to the party, right? That's true for me too. It's true for me too. We should be more upset about the things in our own lives than we are about what's going on out there. It's the message of the scriptures. I fear that sometimes we might be like those money changers and those merchants at the temple, stealing from other people, stealing things like hope and compassion and mercy and grace and forgiveness and as a result, stealing salvation. And you say, well, yeah, but how are we stealing from them? Well, we steal from them when we make it more about religion, when we make it more about rules, when we make it more about customs and traditions than we do about relationship. We steal from them when we make it more about what we want in church, what we're comfortable with, the songs we like and the preferences we have when we make it more about our preferences, our priorities, our positions on issues, our politics, when we make it more about us, then we don't really make it about God or his mission. And I think in that moment, Jesus wants to do some temple cleansing. So the cleansing of the temple starts with us. 
each of us. Revival begins right here. If we want to see revival in our land, if we want to see people turn to follow Jesus, it begins with God's people getting real with ourselves and getting on our knees in repentance and confession. That's where it begins. Because when the church that Jesus instituted looks the way he intended it to look, then the world flocks to it because they can't help it. They're just drawn to it. So friends, let's remember, Jesus has the authority to cleanse us from whatever does not belong in us, to cleanse us from whatever he intended us to look like that doesn't match up with that. Whatever doesn't align with what he intended, he has the authority to cleanse us from that. And that means this, that God always desires to do a work in us before he desires to work through us. Now, God sometimes will work in spite of us, but his preference is to do a work in us so that we would join him in the work that he wants to do through us. And if we're wise, we will surrender to that. See, if your temple is no cleaner today than it was when you first began walking with Jesus, if it's no cleaner now than it was a year ago, than a month ago, than a week ago, then that means there's no repentance, there's no change, there's no transformation, that means there's no surrender, that means you're really not following Jesus and you need to allow him to cleanse your temple. If nothing is changing, then something's got to change. And I know that there are those who say, yeah, yeah, but what about the house of prayer part? We we should be a house of prayer. Yes, yes, yes. That his temple should be a house of prayer. And that now transfers to us as individuals. Let us collectively and individually. This temple language, by the way, throughout the New Testament is used back and forth individually for each one of us who follows Jesus and collectively for all of us together as we together follow Jesus. And so let us together and as individuals be houses of prayer. But let those prayers look like the prayers of the New Testament. Let them look like the prayers Jesus would have for us. Prayers of compassion for those who are far from God. Prayers of mercy for those who are far from God. Prayers of grace for those who are far from God. Prayers of repentance in our own lives for we have strayed far from God. Prayers of God's grace and forgiveness to us and through us. That what Jesus said is, yes, pray earnestly, but first learn how to forgive so you can receive the forgiveness. May that characterize our temples of prayer. Church, may that be us. Jesus' message is clear. If we're doing anything that keeps somebody else far from God, then we are really not as close to God as we think we are. So whatever we do, let's do it in such a way that helps people who are far from God draw near to God. Because in doing so, we draw near to God. That's what it looks like to love God and love others simultaneously. Those two things are not divided out in the church. It's one and the same. When we love God, we're loving other people. When we love them in his name, we love him. We draw near to him by helping others draw near to him. So the question we should ask when we ask, sorry, the question we should ask as we interact with others is this. Will it help move them closer to Jesus? Like, that's the question we should always ask. We begin with that. I I love that in our student ministry, they have this really simple line. They tell the students, and we do this in the Fitz home. We've got teenagers, right? And so there's just this question that we we use. If it's dumb, don't do it. (laughs) So we ask, is it dumb? When you're out with your brothers, I tell my kids, hey, when you're hanging with your friends tonight, Ask yourself, if somebody says, hey, we should go do whatever, ask yourself, is that dumb? And if the answer is yes, don't do it. Don't let them do it. 
So we ask kind of the same thing. Is it dumb to do something that would push people away from God? Yeah, because that pushes us from God. So don't do it. We ask, no, does this move them closer to God? Then let's do it. But if the answer to this question is no, don't do it. Don't post that thing on social media. Don't send that email. Don't send that text message. Don't say those words to that person. Don't speak those words about that person behind their back. Don't gossip. Don't slander. Don't be divisive and disunifying. Just don't do it. And if you have done it, because sometimes we ask that question in hindsight, if we have done it, then let's repent to God and apologize to the other person. Because isn't that one of the most attractive things that we could do? When somebody of faith apologizes for living differently than their faith would compel them to live, it actually draws people towards the faith. So church, if our actions and our words move people further from God, our temple needs cleansing. If you are joining us today, either online or here in person, and you feel pretty far from God, Uh, Maybe you're making your way to God. Maybe it's been a while and you're making your way back to God. Or maybe you just don't know where you are in that whole picture. I hope you've heard God's heart today. That yes, his followers can sometimes mess it up. And I'm chief among them. Sometimes we, we just make a mess. But the beautiful thing is God cleanses that up too. He's, he's a cleanser. He's a cleaner. But I hope you hear his heart. That the whole thing Jesus was doing in the temple was that he was trying to break down the barriers that kept people from getting to him. He wants to do the same thing for you. I don't know, and and this might be true for you even if you're walking with Jesus for a long time, there may still be some barriers in your life. Maybe you got a financial barrier. And you're just in a season that you just, and you feel buried by it, like the world's just crushing down on you. Jesus wants to remove that barrier. Maybe you get a barrier of addiction, either your own or somebody you love, and it is wrecking relationships and it's wrecking life. Maybe it's killing you or it's killing them. Jesus wants to remove that barrier. Maybe there's an emotional barrier that you're just feeling this depression all the time or this anxiety or just this anger. You got something going on and you just can't figure it out. And Jesus wants to remove that barrier. Maybe there's other relational barriers that the war at home with your spouse or your family or your parents or your kids or just that person you care about. And there's these things that are just broken and Jesus wants to remove those barriers. Whatever the barrier is for you, maybe it's a barrier of of doubt and disbelief and skepticism and cynicism. And you're just like, man, I don't know about this Jesus. I don't know if I can go in. And let me tell you, just get close to him. That's why we've been using this book this year, not to learn about Jesus, but to get close to him. And, And you just spend some time with Jesus and I think those barriers begin to fall down. Because that's what he wants to do. He just wants to remove these barriers from you so that you can get closer. And that's why he left the glory of heaven to come into the messiness of this earth. That's why he went to a cross for us. is to remove all the barriers of sin and brokenness and shame and pain and all the things that would stand between us and God. Jesus came to move it all away so that we could be with him. So whatever barrier you've got, Just know the heart of God, the heart of Jesus is to break that down so that you could be with him in a paradise called heaven forever.
And it doesn't mean that, man, they'll just fall immediately, but you should come to him. And if you've never before surrendered to him, it begins with this. It begins with acknowledging that Jesus is gonna lead your life way better than you do. But Jesus also loves you way more than you love yourself. And he wants to rescue you from things that you can't rescue yourself from. And if you know that you need Jesus to lead you and you need Jesus to rescue you and you're willing to let him, then you're ready to follow him. And next week, we're gonna celebrate as we have a number of people who've already made that decision. They're gonna be baptized next week in public surrender. And we invite you to participate in that as well. And so if you wanna know what it looks like to surrender to Jesus and follow him, please meet us in the next steps area in the lobby right after service. But let me tell you, for all of us, whether you've been following Jesus for a long time or you're not quite yet there, here's the sign Jesus wanted to put on the front porch of the temple for you. Welcome home. Because it's only with Jesus, it's only doing life with him, coming home to him, that you'll find your place of healing and wholeness and hope and belonging. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are not a God who is far off, but that you are the God who breaks down barriers so that we can get close to you. And God, we confess, all of us who follow you, who claim to follow you, we confess that, man, we really mess it up at times. We don't just put barriers in front of other people who are far from you. God, we, we put some really dumb barriers in our own lives. Barriers of religious activity and trying to do all the right things and doing it right, feeling like we're far from you if we don't. We make it so much about what we do or don't do and what we we just need to remember, God, we, we thank you that you remind us of this often. It's that it's not about that. It's about what you have done for us on the cross, that the king who came to rule is the king who came to serve and that you went to a cross for us, but you also rose in power from the grave. And you've shattered all those barriers. So God, please break those barriers down once again. God, make us people of prayer prayers of repentance and confession, prayers of faith and humility, of compassion and generosity, of mercy and forgiveness and grace. And God, thank you that you poured that out to us. And God, for any who are far from you, who are wrestling with the barriers that are in the way, we pray today that those barriers would come crashing down, that they would take this step to acknowledge that you love them, that you came to rescue them, and they need you to lead them. And so God, may they step into a brand new life with you. May they trust you. God, in a moment as we sing, I pray that those song, that those words to that song would be our prayer of praise and gratitude for who you are, for how you love us. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen.